Welcome, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor A.J. Espinosa, as we go through the Bible one chapter at a time. But today, a treat. We're looking at the Psalms again. We're looking at Psalm 31. Because you don't read the Psalms just one chapter by chapter by chapter like that. It's not like that. Um, you don't read the whole hymnal one hymn at a time, right? You want to mix it up. You want to kind of have uh, them sprinkled in. You know, like like blueberries on your oatmeal, right? At least, I mean, you know, my, my daughter would be saying, yes, Daddy, oh, uh, we want oatmeal with blueberries. Uh, <laughs> um, so we're looking at Psalm 31, and I, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. It's a little bit longer than Psalm 30, but it really it holds together. And when you when you see the meaning, it, it has a, a story. It's a really cool story. It's a military story, even. Um, looking at Psalm 31 with us today, we have a returning guest. We've got Pastor David Boisclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches, which are both in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back. It's just a joy to be here. Thank you, Pastor. And, and I'm and, um, also excited about looking at the psalm. Yes, yes, Psalm 31. I, you know, I, I have to admit, um, you know, I, I've been looking over uh, this psalm and some other psalms kind of recently, and I felt like um, it wasn't like until like this past month or something, like I finally understood what it meant. Like it's, um, it, well, we can, we can, I mean, we're going to have uh, an hour to look at this, which is fantastic. It's only 24 verses, but I have a feeling that we're going to be talking about it up until minute 60 here. Absolutely. And, and it's, and it also it touches on our Lord's life and, and also Absolutely. Uh, Martin Luther as well. Right. Martin right. Luther had some um, things to say. Mm-hmm. Yep, especially with that verse 5, right? Into your hand I commit my spirit. So, oh man, there's lots of good stuff here. Uh, but before we dig in, Pastor, would you open us up with a prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are a rock and fortress for us in a world which is so dangerous, so uh, much of an enemy to our faith. We pray that you would uh, grant that we may sing this psalm as a prayer to you for uh, um, your gracious protection, guidance, help, inspiration, that we may live our lives as a sacrifice, of a living sacrifice to you through our dear Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for, for these Psalms, I, I think what's nice about them is because they're short, we can start by reading the entire thing through, kind of lay out and set the table, and then we can start going into it bit by bit. So I'll good. go ahead and That's read the, the whole thing, just kind of, you know, kind of get something on the canvas for us, and then we can take it slowly. Psalm 31, yes. uh, beginning with the title, which is part of the text, actually. Psalm 31. To the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge." Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. 
for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. So, it's a fascinating psalm. Lots of, of uh, very, really potent imagery. Um, going, going from I, I, you know, his bones wasting away or being set in a broad place, a mixture, right, of, of really strong and positive images and also yes. scarier ones, be, being, being a dread and having everyone run away from you and they won't even look at you. Um, and, and I have to say, the, the thing that got me always about this psalm was it, it felt to me like I could not follow it. Like, it starts off, you know, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge? So it sounds like, okay, something bad is happening. Something bad is going on and he needs, he needs help. David needs help. Um, and, and then, um, and, and it's just kind of suddenly in verse five, at the end of verse five, it's, you have redeemed me. Oh, okay. I guess, I guess the problem's gone. And in verse eight, you know, you've set my feet in a broad place. Oh, okay. I guess problem's resolved. And then in verse 9 again, you know, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in, in distress. Whoa, okay, problem's back. Problem has returned. Um, and, and things are really, really bad. And then kind of again, you get back into verse 19, how abundant is your goodness. And, and 21, blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love. Oh, okay, I guess I guess the problem's been resolved. God has shown the steadfast love, and we're okay again. Um, but then at the very end, too, be strong and let your heart take courage Oh, hang on. So something bad's about to happen. We need to get ready. So I mean, like that. <laughs> maybe that's uh, a little, like, little too much. But it, that that was kind of my process going through this psalm at first. That I was like, I, I can't tell. Is is there a problem? Is there not a problem? W what's going on? What's the situation? What's the setting of this psalm? Well, there's an interplay between uh, the the problem and then the trust of the person praying. This uh, the um, commentators say that this of course is uh, a psalm of david uh, based upon his um uh, the time when he was uh, running from saul and saul was persecuting him and, and and chasing him all over judea and uh he uh was basically um uh you know he would go to a place like uh, the place of the priests uh, nob and uh then and, and then um, ahimelech helped him and then Saul, of course, went up there and, and killed uh, Ahimelech and, and the other priests uh, because they helped David. And so, uh, you know, you've got some, a force, you've got a power that's, that's opposed to him, uh, and, and you, but you have the Lord that is his uh, help. And, and by saying, uh, you know, it's, it's done or I, my, fate, my uh, situation is, is uh, remedied or helped, uh, that's sort of like a, a statement of faith that takes as something that actually happens, something that you hope will happen uh, in, in asking God's help. Right. So, so there's a couple things. There's, there's one, the idea that you have confidence that God has acted and will act, even in the midst of the distress, um, is kind of one aspect to it. 
and then so so that's why it, it can he can seemingly be uh, courageous or bold or even even in the midst of praise even while bad things are actually still going on at that time. Um, and then there's the second side of it, which is as you were um, bringing up with like what some commentators have suggested, us trying to kind of imagine what sort of situation is all of this taking place in because depending on how we're kind of envisioning David saying all this is going to affect our our interpretation if and if we think that he's on the run uh, th this song might come out one way I mean that's kind of what you were seeing like in the commentaries yeah. that he's kind of on the run from from yes. Saul yeah and, and, and like in the terrain there there are these caves there's uh, uh, you know like these mountainous areas uh, there's uh, you know crevices uh, and, and so in, in a sense he's he's uh, you know and there were two instances where Saul almost got him uh, the one where he's he and his men are in a cave and and Saul goes there to relieve himself and and uh, th there they are right behind him but he doesn't notice them and so God protected David and his men from Saul then and then there was the other incidents when uh, they were surrounding Saul's camp and and uh, David and, and his companion went into Saul's tent and, and, and everyone was asleep and took his uh, spear and his water jug. And so, so there, there, there are kind of those close calls that, that uh, you know, David went through in, in when Saul per was pursuing him around the country. You know, and and I'm glad you mentioned some of those those scenes and like the saga of uh, of David and Saul and also of David and Jonathan. Um, I I have thought for a long time now that like the stories of David would make a really awesome series for like Netflix or HBO or something. Like I just I mean the stories are are so cool and there's so much there's so much suspense and it's uh, they're just very vivid and there's very human too. Um, I just, anyway, we need to kind of like appreciate that there's this real life situation going on. And I, I guess, you know, whether, whether we, we say it's because he's being pursued by Saul or it's another enemy, um, I think what we really need to, to pay attention to, and at least this is like the verse that makes it clear for me is actually the verse at the very end, uh, towards the end in verse 21, where it says, um, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city, is the term he uses. So I, I feel like what, what makes this psalm click for me is understanding that he is under siege. And that's the situation. He is under siege. He's being surrounded by his enemies. And, well, I mean, we, we should just probably take a minute to, to reflect on this. What does it mean to be under siege? What is siege warfare and... and what what kind of situation are we talking about? Well, uh, there there is a conquering force that that enters uh, someone's homeland, and uh, then all of course uh, you go into a city of refuge or a fortress uh, in order to uh, have you know relief from being uh, slaughtered by this uh, conquering army, and um, and oftentimes uh, you know even in ancient battle and in, in early medieval battle, uh, the, the um, advantage, of course, was on, on the side of those who were being besieged, those who are holed up in a good, strong fortress. And it was only with the invention of uh, gunpowder and, and cannon that uh, the, the uh, uh, advantage was given to those who were the attackers. But uh, right. so, so you're, you're kind of like in a place where you're protected from a, an invading army and a force. So there's there's a tremendous force that wants to kill you, and so you're 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 hole up in in a um, secure place, and that's that's kind of the idea. Right, and, and so you, as you're saying, the advantage is going to the people who are under siege that are that are holed up in a secure um, and very hard to penetrate location, and so really at that point, what's your enemy trying to do? They're trying to wait you out. They're they're trying to basically just drain your resources so that you're gonna have to come out eventually. Um, you're not gonna be able to bring in food. You're not gonna be able to bring in water because everyone's cooped up. There's gonna be a higher um, transmission of infectious diseases. 
So they're basically just camping out around you and they're going to eat off of your land that they have access to out there while you're holed up. And, they, and all they got to do is outlast you. Um, and then you'll actually just be forced to come out. And so that that's that's the danger. Yeah, you're safe under siege. So this is, and to me, this I help make it makes sense to, to me. So he's under siege, and on the one hand, he's safe. God's protecting him. He's um, he's in a good situation. On the other hand, there is this fear and this dread that they are not going to outlast the enemy. That that the enemy is going to starve them out. That the enemy is eventually going to break their will that they eventually have to have to over overcome this enemy because uh, they can't stay in there forever. The clock is ticking. And so there's this mixture of feeling safe and secure while also knowing that there's there's danger all around them and they only have so much time. You know, it, it, ancient history provides us some very interesting examples of, of uh, this sort of scenario. Uh, consider the city of Tyre. Uh, when mm -hmm. Alexander the Great was going to, um, you know, capture it, uh, there was old Tyre that was on the la on land. Uh, you know, there was an island which was new Tyre, and then there was old Tyre that was on land. But the the island, the people were able to fish and and be able to uh, provide for themselves food and water, and and so Alexander had to build a causeway from it, tearing down the old city and and building a causeway out to the island to, in order to. Uh, breach the walls that were out there, and even in is in Jerusalem, they they d dug a uh, you know for the um, spring of Gion to be brought into uh, Jerusalem, uh, like the bat the pool of Siloam. That that particular right. there there's uh, you know evidence of how they you know trying to engage to keep alive get a, a source of water even in Jerusalem. Isn't that Hezekiah's tunnel? Yes, yes. Yeah, and what's remarkable yeah. about that is like that's actually a, you can go you can go to Jerusalem and see it even today and there's this ancient Hebrew inscription over there but I mean it talks about it in scripture that this is something that Hezekiah did so that they could withstand and outlast their enemy in a siege situation. And and it it's just really exciting some of the the scenarios on this and and, and so you can picture yourself in in type of situation like this. Where, where there's a powerful force that's trying to kill you, trying to get you. Uh, you know, we can say that it's the devil that's kind of after me as a, as a believer in the Lord. Well, I think that really kind of sets us up really well. We should actually just kind of dig into the text and start looking at some of the details. I, I really do think, though, that if we have that picture in mind and we understand, you know, those sorts of dynamics, that the words can actually kind of tell the story then and it won't just seem like, you know, like kind of how I you know used to read it when I didn't understand the context where I'm just like, hang on, is he happy? Is he sad? Is it good? Is it bad? We can actually kind of follow the logic here. So let's let's take a look at these uh, the, the, the first verse here. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame and your righteousness deliver me. So right off the bat, it makes sense. Um, do I, I take refuge. He's actually, you know, under siege and he's he's literally in the refuge of God right now. God's protecting him from the enemy that's all around him. Uh, and in that, that next part, then, let me never be put to shame. Um, I wonder if the better way to translate that is, is let me not be ashamed forever. Um, he doesn't want this, this, this shameful situation to go on. He wants it to end at some point. Um, because I, I'm thinking here that the, the, top, the topic of shame is coming up uh, because he's trapped and he has not been able to to get the better of the sieging uh, forces, and this is actually a cause of shame uh, for for David then as the military leader. Yes, and and um, you know it's just like so when I if I'm for God or if I'm for truth or whatever, let me not let the enemy, which is for evil, uh, not get the better of me, and and that's that's the important thing. The next uh, then we got, uh, verse, phrase here is is interesting because this was uh, you know in another it's in a different psalm in in you O Lord I put my trust uh, and your righteousness deliver me uh, this mm -hmm. is sort of a this is not the 
of the exact verse that Luther was using. It was a you know the same ver, uh, the same phrase in an, another psalm, but uh, where Luther said his righteousness is not only his holiness or justice by which he is holy, but it is his uh, righteousness that his passive righteousness that he gives to me. So he, he saves me. Uh, by a righteousness which rescues rather than punishes, and so that's one of the one of the things that Luther found in the Psalter in, in this particular case too. Yeah, you know the the way that that David talks about God's righteousness here and and his and and God's love and um, I mean it, it's it's all in a very gracious way. Like he he he's he's banking on that. He keeps bringing it up all these attributes of God. And it's, he says, you know, because of that, I have confidence that you're going to get me out of this. I have confidence that this siege is going to end. Um, it's always, it's always for his benefit. David understands in a, in a really bold way, as we're going to see, um, that, that God is, that God is for him. Um, I mean, I mean, in that way he understands, uh, who, who Christ is God for us. And, and, um, and even despite but, the fact that it looks pretty, pretty bad for us yes. in the world you know the right. the appearances show that uh, evil is winning the battle or that uh, that that the church is is retreating and, and is uh, you know that's that's sort of the the what the visible evidence gives you but there but you know what is what is seen is temporary what is not seen is eternal the apostle says so we're, we're going to get to that because I think there's a good part here where it's talking about how the appearances are bad. Um, and, and, he, and I think David actually says as much. Um, so let's just, let's get there. In verse two, he says, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. So, I mean, he is trying to take refuge in some kind of perhaps even like some kind of mountain fortress that the word might kind of have that kind of suggestion and he's asking that God would, would God would really be the fortress, um, and that they'd, they'd be able to to outlast and, and come out on top in this situation. And, and in verse three, th this is this is so interesting to me because he switches from, you know, God do this, be this, incline your ear, rescue me, right? He he switches from that to just a statement of fact. You for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake. You lead me and guide me, and um, it, it could be that it's you lead me and guide me, but it could also you could translate it there. You will lead me and guide me, um, and you will take me out of the net they have hidden for me, the, the the trap they've laid. Right? For you are my refuge. Exactly. Um, I mean, David's being really bold. He's saying, "I know you're my rock, and so you know what? I know how this is going to end. I know how you will act. I know you're going to save me. I'm, I'm asking you to, but I know you'll you'll say yes." Yeah, it's it, it. It they call it a prophetic uh, assurance or um, you know a statement where you're 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 ex he's expressing his faith by saying it's a uh, it's a done deal it's it's done, and and that's that's the comforting. It also comforts him as well. Yeah, well, yes, just to be able to remind himself, right? Um, <laughs> I like uh, I forget who who said it, but um, it's it's been said that. Uh, often, more often than not, we don't need to be told new things. We need we need to be reminded of old things we already knew. Um, and and so yeah, he's he's saying Good this point. and he's being bold to God and saying, I know what you're going to do, God. You're going to help me. Um, and he's and he's doing it in bold the boldness of faith. And he's also, I mean, he's reminding himself <laughs> of the faith he has. Um, yes. So then. So then you get get verse five, which which is just such a key verse. Uh, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So I want to figure out what's what's going on with this verse because in the first half it seems like you know in faith, in that assurance of how he knows how it's going to turn out, he says I commit my spirit to you. Uh, you know what I'm trusting you to get me out of this. Right here here here's my spirit. Um, you know take it. I try, I'm counting on you. And then he says in the very second half of the verse, just kind of all of a sudden, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Um, what's like the logic connecting the two halves of this verse together? Well, through uh, Christ's sacrifice and his um, you know, sinless life and death 
and resurrection. Uh, he is he is our redeemer. Um, he, kinsman. The idea is with the kinsman redeemer. When when uh, let's say uh, a, a person with their property uh, they've they've kind of fallen on hard times and the property is taken by creditors and so on. The kinsman redeemer comes forward and and purchases back the property. Um, you know we are sold into sin and and uh, Christ by his blood and righteousness has has our kinsman redeemer has bought us back from that and and so and and then God of course uh, is is the faithful uh, guarantor uh, or, or keeper of of ourselves and and we can entrust ourselves to him because of what our Lord Jesus has done and I think we we have to appreciate that that kind of purchasing very very literal uh, redemption from the creditors kind of idea um, to, to really appreciate what's going on here. You know, we see redeem, and I feel like our, our reflexes, well, I mean, you know, uh, our broader reflex when we see redeem, we're really thinking of like, you know, uh, scouring the internet for coupon codes to get like five bucks off my next order, right? Um, but, but in a context of the Bible, we kind of see the word redeem, and we just sort of think like, oh, it's another word for like, you know, save or rescue or deliver or something, something good, right? But I mean, I think that maybe here we really should focus on that idea of purchase, um, because if if we do, he he's saying, uh, I mean, like you, you've redeemed me, you've bought me, you you own me, uh, I'm yours, I'm yours. And what what's striking is actually this is a a unique form in the Hebrew Bible that's used here. It's actually the only time I did I, did a, I ran a search. It's the only time you actually see this form. Um, and it's a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more involved. Um, I feel like you need to kind of translate it as something along the lines of like, you know, here, I'm yours. You know, like, I mean, it, it's you almost you kind of picture like, you know, in a transaction, the person who's selling something might say like, well, you've you've bought yourself, you know, like you've bought yourself a car, you know, or, you, or you've got yourself a deal. Right. He's saying that to say, like, you know, you own this now. Um and so, you know, here's David saying, you know, I into your hand I commit my spirit. Here, I'm I'm yours. You know, you you've bought me, you've redeemed me. Do with me what you will. Um, I mean, I I think that really, I mean, this really is just complimenting that statement of faith um, that he has put himself in God's hands, and he's saying, what whatever you'll do with me, that's that's the right thing. I totally trust you. This is the uh, final. Words of Jesus from the cross, too, uh, as as he uh, be, just before he uh, gives up his his life uh, voluntarily, of course, uh, he says, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." And uh, and Luther, of course, at, at during his the time when he was dying, in on February eighteenth, fifteen um, forty six, he said, mm. uh, "You know, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God." He's God is faithful. God is faithful to yeah. us, and and since we do belong to Him, He's not going to let us. He's not going to just let us be destroyed or, or or lost. Right, right. That that's that's the faith, knowing whose we are. Who do I belong to? Who who owns me? Who who has me? Um, and I hope we can. We're gonna we're gonna come back when we're done going through this and look more about reading this uh, through the lens of our Lord Jesus. Uh, but first, we're going to go into a short break, looking at Psalm 31 here with Pastor Boyce Claire. We'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316.
Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor A.J. Espinosa. I'm with today Pastor David Boyce-Claire, uh, of pastor in Pinelawn, Missouri. We're looking at Psalm 31. We, we read the whole thing through and kind of talked about what's the setting, and the setting is it's, David is under siege. Uh, perhaps he's on the run from Saul, and Saul's the one who's actually got him under siege. But he's in the situation where he's got to outlast his enemy, and he's hoping that his defenses are going to hold up, and he's trusting on God ultimately to be the one to keep him safe, and that God is going to be the one who's going to bring him out safe on the other side. We looked at verse 5 just now. Uh, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. A statement of faith. He's entrusting himself to God. He knows that God's the one who owns him. He belongs to God, and it's because he knows who he belongs to. Um, that he knows. It's not because he's so great. It's because of the relationship he has. It's because he belongs to God that he knows that God's not going to abandon what's his. Um, and of course, we we uh, we see these words again with on the lips of our Lord Jesus, who prays these words um, from the cross. These are words that were prayed by Luther on the day that he died. Um, they're certainly an example for us. Uh, let's first, though, consider the the rest of the psalm. Then we're I want to really do focus on the end about how this psalm really just fits so well, not just in the moment of, of the cross, but really for our Lord, uh, just so well in the big picture. Um, so so look, let's look at verse 6 then, keep going. It starts off, um, and maybe you can speak to this, Pastor Boyce Claire. It's it, it seems, it felt jarring to me when I read it. Um, it says, you know, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God, then all of a sudden just, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. It, it, it felt to me when I first read that, like, whoa, hang on a second. That just, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of like talking about our trust in God and our faith in God, and then it's just, I hate them. Um, and and then, you know, we kind of go right back then in verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you've seen my affliction, you've known the distress of my soul. So it, it feels like, you know, verse, verse 5 and verse 7 are both these statements of, you know, you know what's going on, Lord, you see what's going on. I commit my hands to you. I'm trusting myself to you. But in verse six, it's just kind of all of a sudden, I, I hate those people. What's going on with this statement in verse six? Yes, that you, I mean, you would expect that God would want us to uh, express our love for all people, you know. Um, right. He, uh, it, 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 it is, a, in, in Hebrew, uh, the idea is a, a matter of choice. Um, yes. You know, in other words, like Christ says, uh, you, if you do not follow me and hate your father and mother and, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. It, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, and maybe it's more of the hating where they are, that they're trusting in idols or, you know, gods, false gods that, that cannot, uh, um, you know, help people. Um, and, and, and a lot of times it's sort of like a, a struggle against God, against um, um, unbelievers in the world. And, and so it's a, mm-hmm. that I, I rather, cho- I, here you have the choice here. I, I, I hate uh, the life which trusts in false gods, but I trust in the Lord. And I think that's, that's really helpful the way you put it. it it's choice language, that the, that the Hebrew words, and, and, and for that matter, actually, I think the Greek words for, for hate and love are, have this choice idea going on. You know, um, you know uh, we, we, when we were looking at the Gospel of John, there was this interesting comment in John chapter 12 that it says that they loved the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God, and that that was the reason why they were unwilling, even though they started to believe in Jesus, they were unwilling to begin to make, take that next step of of, of publicly proclaiming that faith. Um, and and it's it's there kind of in a very similar way. It's this choice language. It's not just that they you know had this feeling in their hearts or that they were just full of you know anger and rage, but that they decided in that moment to go this way instead of the other way. And, and so David, same thing here. He, he's, not, it's not, he's not saying like, you know, oh, I just have so much anger and, and malice towards these people. Um, it, it's saying, you know, that's not the way I'm going. I, I, that's, not, that's not me. I'm not going to pay regard to worthless, worthless idols. Um, I'm not going to go along with that. Maybe is another way. Like I'm not going to go along with those yeah. who pay regard to worthless idols. He's saying that that's Very that's good. not what I'm Very doing. Good. I've made my choice. Very good uh, 
you know, interpretation of that or, or you know, how we could uh, look at that in, in the uh, light of what's being said. And, and so, so that then, because it's like that choice language actually fits really well in the middle um, of the language, then these, these statements of faith on either side, verse five and verse seven. Um, and then when we're brought to verse eight, then, um, you know, th this, again, like when I first write it, I'm like, hang on a second, are we, is it, is it all done here? Is the, is the problem resolved? Well, well, no, think about it in the context of a siege. He says, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. So, I mean, here he is actually pointing to the fact that, yeah, he has taken refuge in the midst of his siege, and so far, so good, right? I mean, like, here they are in a good, defensible place. They have not been defeated yet, even though the odds are stacked against him. So, I mean, in many ways, it's like, God, you've brought me this far. You know, you, I mean, we, we've survived up to this point. And, and so it's a statement then that invites the, the second kind of shoot a drop. And so I know that you're going to see me through all the way. And you have uh, in verse 7 uh, the word steadfast love. Uh, in uh, the King James, it's translated mercy. Chesed, yes. uh, which yes. is God's, um, you know, his, his commitment to us, his committed love and, uh, and grace. Yeah. I've always wondered why we don't, I, I mean, the, the, I think there's, there's actually a one-word translation of this word, though, because it's used for both God and for people. The, the God has chesed and we have chesed as well. And I think the one word translation is loyalty, um, that, that we, we have loyalty to God because God has saved us. And so it's our, it's our response. He has, in a, in a sense, earned our loyalty. Um, and then on God's side, he has a loyalty to us that's just freely on his own side. He has claimed us as his people, and he's just graciously loyal, not because of anything we've done, but because he's chosen us. Yes, and that, that's, that's behind, that's the whole point of that. I remember one time doing a report on uh, Kessid for a class for Hosea uh, with Dr. Schrieber, and, and I, I said a lot about what it is God's um, you know, grace, or it's, a, it's, a, a con, it's the idea of, of God's um, unmerited love toward us, but there's more to it. There is a loyalty aspect of it. It's the committedness, it's the... You know, there's, in other words, there's the works that follow faith that are also there. Right, right. It's, it's, yeah, that totally, it's a, so that's why I think it gets translated as something like, you know, uh, you know, your, your steadfast love or your, or your gracious love or your grace, because, I mean, when you apply it to God, you do have to understand it, that it's, it's not loyalty like our loyalty, um, you know, which, right. which can be bought um, or earned. But it, it, it is different for God. But that is kind of the key idea still. That part is the same. Um, so I do want to make sure we have time to, to, like I said, get through the rest of it and then kind of circle around. So I think we've kind of uh, hit some of the really big points that we'll kind of see continuing throughout. So I'm just going to kind of go a little bit faster now. And if there's something that you just want to, like, you know, interrupt me on, just just stop me. <laughs> okay, does that sound okay? <laughs> Uh, all right. So here's, here's verse nine then. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. Uh, there, so he's still under siege though. Uh, and so he still wants that rescue. And there, I think when it says my eye is wasted from Greek, uh, grief, I looked at that again and I think it's actually, um, he's, what's actually being said is my soul is wasted from the grief of my eye and also my body. I, I think what's actually going on is that he has this grief of the eye. And what would that refer to? Well, think about it. He's under siege. And so every time he like pokes his head out, he sees enemies all around him. It's just like Pastor Boyce Claire, like what you were saying earlier. The situation looks bad when you're under siege because all you see is enemies and death on every side. Exactly. Yes, and, and I think that's a good way of looking at that. Or, or maybe weeping. Um, of course, mm -hmm. I, mean, I think, it's, I think your, your uh, perspective is a little bit more clear on that, that it's, yet you see that what you can see is that you're, you're done for. You, you don't have a chance. Right. Uh, and, and, it, and it's very, very um, disheartening, very, very uh, frightening. It's right, and so we're going to... And so that's going to come back when we look at this, like how it applies to our Lord. That's going to be very, very applicable. Um, 
Yes. But so looking then at, at verse 10 then, so my, my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Um, I mean, this language of, you know, something like his past has come to haunt him. Um, it, it seems like, like it's, so maybe that's kind of where people get a little bit of the idea of maybe that he's on the run from Saul. Like this is, um, you know, something that's that's kind of gone on in his history with him. And then in verse 11, because of my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. So, you know, I, and I'm not sure if, if what's, I mean, I guess when I was reading this, it felt to me like what he's saying is that the people who he's with, who he's under siege with, um, and, and perhaps he has actually found like a, a city up there in, in the mountains or, or on the hills. Um, and I, I guess the idea, right, would be like, well, let's say King David has gone, well, not king yet, but David has gone and taken refuge in your city, and now your city is under siege because of this guy. <laughs> um, what would your opinion of this man be? Um, maybe not the best, you know, like now we can't even go outside because they're after you. And, and so I think this is what we saw like, in the very first verse. David is having this shame come upon him because uh, he has he has kind of brought the brought death and destruction to her doorstep. And so he goes on in verse 12, I've been forgotten like one who's dead. I've become like a broken vessel. I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. So you can imagine that David's not feeling very popular right now. It doesn't feel like he has a lot of support. Maybe, you know, this is this is like uh, him him expressing that. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, you, you get, you also can see that this is a pointing forward to the suffering of our Lord as well. Um, and, you know, of course, if there's any iniquity, uh, that's mentioned here, uh, it is of course imputed, not, uh, something that he's done. Right. Um, so then in verse 14 here, but I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servants. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently, insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. So, I mean, he's just, because of the shameful situation, he's asking that God would reverse the shame, that the shame would go on to them, um, and that his shame then would end. And and he says that, and he goes into this verse in verse 19, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. So it, it's a very similar pattern. He's asking for this. He's asking that God would reverse the shame would undo the words that are being spoken against him. Uh, and then he's making a statement of fact, um, which is confirming his faith. He's reminding himself of what he believes in, that, that God is a, is a shelter, not just from, not just from his, um, his enemies uh, wanting to you know, kill him, but also from um, the, the, their slander, from their words, from the strife of, of argument and deceit, um, that God's a shelter even from that. Uh, so it's very similar to what we saw before, but it's taking on that maybe more spiritual dimension um, that Luther talks about, that you know God defends us and protects things, not just like our house and home, but also our reputation. Exactly. Um, very good point. And, and one other thing to yeah. mention is, is the fact that a lot of times when, when we're reading Hebrew poetry, that you can uh, find the interpretation of it as, as the, the next line uh, would be exactly the same thing that the first line says, mm -hmm. but in, in mm -hmm. Hebrew parallelism, which which kind of uh, gives you a uh, you know a, a wider understanding of of what the words mean. Uh, so that's that's very helpful when when you're studying uh, the Psalms or or the Old Testament. Is that uh, you know especially w obviously with the with the poetry here. This is poetry. And and right. you have the that parallelism that explains uh, the, the the point that's made in the first statement. Right, and it really is helpful, as you're saying. You know, I mean, it, when we don't when we don't read it the right way, it can sound repetitive. 
but but the point is it's act I mean we do the same thing when we're actually being poetic you know poetry is inherently um, gonna be have have repetition and parallelism because there's so many different ways you can take everything because there's all these images and metaphors and like hang on what sense is that being used in so you need the parallelism because it helps kind of hold and balance all the perspectives together and you can actually make sense of all of this, you know, poetic language that's getting thrown at you. So it actually, it, it guides itself, or like you were saying, it, it kind of interprets itself, really, if, if you just kind of follow it along and, and allow it then. And so, I mean, here, you know, he asks for the reversal. He states the fact of his confidence that God will deliver the reversal because he protects not just from, you know, temporal injury and death, but also from strife. And then he has the statement of, of praise Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Um, and, and, I, and I think th the way that I want to read this anyway is he's saying, this is like, thank you, God, for listening to me. <laughs> thank you for showing concern enough to listen to me. Um, and I, I think this is actually more like a present tense here. What, like now, like since I am in a besieged city right now, um, in verse 22 then, He's saying, you know, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. You know, so again, he's like saying like, yeah, so before, when I first got into the city, I was, I thought I was done. I thought I was, I was a goner. Um, but then it says in the second half, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. You know, you have heard, you've listened to my voice. Just now, you've been listening to what I'm saying. And he's, he's blessing God and thanking God for listening to him because he has this confidence that, yeah, now that God has listened to my prayer, I know it's a done deal. It's so comforting. It's very comforting. It's, an, it's, it's just a, uh, an assurance. The, the, the psalmist or David is assured that God uh, has, has rescued him or will rescue him. And it's because he has that assurance then that in verse 23... He turns around. You can like, he maybe literally turns around. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repay, repays the one who acts in pride. And then be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. They're waiting for the Lord because they're under siege. They and they're literally. I mean, it's a waiting game, right? And he's saying, you know, don't don't give up, don't despair. Let your heart be strong and take courage. We have prayed to God. We know he's heard us. We know how this is going to come out. So he's actually inviting them to share in the faith and the assurance that he has. That although despite the appearance of things being vexing and, and being really scary, they, he knows how this is going to turn out. And he's asking that they would, he's inviting them into that faith. I'm, I'm so uh, moved by uh, God, the gospel for yesterday uh, the fifth Sunday after Easter, of Easter, the fifth Sunday of Easter, where Christ says, uh, a little while and you will not see me, and then again a little while and you shall see me. And, and it's, it's kind of like we're, the idea of waiting for the Lord. It, it's not, a, that's not right. long to wait. It's, it's not a long time for us to be in this life in, in tribulation at times and troubles, but a little while and you shall see me. Right, and I'm that, glad you brought that, up that's John. That's very comforting. I'm glad you brought up John because John does so much with what what can you see right now and, and what and what what are you still waiting for and and what is in the darkness and therefore cannot be seen and what was going to be revealed in the light. So in, in a big way we see this psalm fulfilled um in the the life and the work of our Lord Jesus. I mean, of course we we go back to that that verse 5 that he's praying this He's praying this on the cross, and, and you got to think that when we're told in the Gospels that he says, into your hand I commit my spirit, it's not just because it was, it was a one-liner, but that the Lord probably prayed the entire psalm there on the cross, and this is like the word um, that, that stuck with him, that, that, he, that he's saying again, almost maybe like an antiphon, and, and how appropriate is that then? You know, he's, he's there, and he is under siege. He looks around, and he sees enemies on all sides, all the people who hate him. Um, you know, and it looks like there's, there's no way out. Um, it, it looks bad, and he is in distress. But he has this faith where he says, but despite that, and think about this, he's on the cross, and he's saying, I am taking refuge in you right now. 
you've put my feet in a broad place. Um, he's expressing that he he has assurance of what's going to happen, that he's going to make it out onto the other side already while he's there on the cross, and he is inviting others into that faith, which is what John says, that right that he gets lifted up onto the cross, and he draws all men into himself, just like David inviting people into the faith and confidence he has. Jesus is there inviting us into his faith in God, that God will deliver, deliver even from death, um, and the shame of the cross. Uh, he's inviting us in and drawing us in. I mean, it's, it's so beautifully fulfilled from beginning to end. Yes, exactly. Very, very well put. I, and, and it's so, it, it's just inspiring and comforting. That's why the Psalms are, are the hymn book of the people of all, of God's people through the Old Testament into the New Testament. Amen. It's, 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 our, it's our Lord's Psalm. It's, it's our Psalm. We can pray this along with David and our Lord Jesus and in the Lord Jesus. Um, so look at that. Only 24 verses, but I mean, we, you know, we ran out of time again. <laughs> um, yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's, I love, I love the Psalms. The shortest, Pastor, the shortest hour uh, in, in, uh, in our it, it really is. It is the short, this is the shortest hour in radio. Uh, Pastor Boyce Claire, thank you for joining us and being our guest today. It's my honor. Thank you. Everybody, thank you for listening and reading the Bible with us together today. Thank you, LCMS Office of National Mission. Thank you, Lutheran Heritage Foundation, for underwriting. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.